you're telling me that the promise is or the opportunity is that we can create a food system that makes food healthy, makes the ecosystem healthy, and we can feed people that food and while doing it, they can feel a part of solving the greatest challenge that we feel most apathetic about simultaneously. <laughs> You're kidding me. That's an amazing opportunity. I was just like, that's crazy. That can't be true. That's, that's, that's. Ryland Engelhardt is a husband, a new father, and a passionate environmentalist. His family has been running two plant-based restaurants for the last 13 years, Cafe Gratitude and Gracias Madre, staples for the California vegan community. Ryland is also co-founder of the nonprofit Kiss the Ground, an advocacy group focused on regenerative farming practices. What is regenerative farming? Well, it's an approach to farming systems that rejects artificial fertilizers and aims to regenerate topsoil. A new study this year found that worldwide land degradation is now undermining the well-being of 3.2 billion people. Regenerative farming is also a solution to global warming. Now, we've mined carbon out of the ground in the form of fossil fuels and burned them, which has redistributed that carbon into our atmosphere and oceans, resulting in global warming and ocean acidification. Regenerative farming takes that carbon and sequesters it back into the ground. Plus... You get delicious organic strawberries for the kiddos. To learn more, we sat down with Ryland and talked about how farmers are rejecting old systems and adopting regenerative techniques that will not only feed the world healthier food, but also help address our climate crisis. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. First, help us frame the problem. We have global warming. Why? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? For just easy understanding, human beings have put too much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into the atmosphere that is creating a warming effect. When things start to heat up, you start to have these more frequent storms, uh, fires, the poles melting, oceans rising. Maybe the most urgent and scary is that we have over 405 parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is already too much. That's when we get serious about this problem, right? We're crisis-driven. Yes. So we've got a climate system that's creating sea level rise, ocean acidification, uh, droughts, because we have bigger evaporation of water, you're starting to see storms like Florence that we just had, the second wettest storm of all time. You're seeing desertification. Yeah, desertification may be one of the the most. You look at a, You look at a NASA map of what the world looks like, and it's majority desert and man-made the majority of it. Right. So with the epicness of the problem, you had an aha moment around what could be the solution 
to this problem. Can you tell me about that? Yes. I was in New Zealand about six years ago at a healthy living conference, and I went there to teach them some stuff that I was going to bring from California, <laughs> and I was going to tell them about sustainable business and you know, what we do at Cafe Gratitude and how we're so great and you know, have we have these principles and we, we clear our employees so they're present and we use compostable cornstarch cups and all this stuff. And so I thought I was going to share something and I ended up in a panel discussion in the audience uh, listening to six scientists speak. And five out of the six said, it's dire. It's really, it's really dire. And most people are not telling you the truth because it's hard to get people to fund initiatives when it's too far gone. And the sixth person who spoke was a guy by the name of Graham Sait. And he said, what these last five people have said is, is, is accurate. And there's been a big blind spot in the climate change equation. And that is the thing right beneath our feet, and that is soil. And that we don't have more carbon now than we did at one point, you know, a million years ago. It's just a matter of balance and a matter of where that carbon is located. And in the same way that 500 million years ago, there was so much carbon in the atmosphere and the planet was totally unlivable and there was no plants on land. And as plants came out of the ocean onto land and started to, through photosynthesis, started to pull that carbon into creating plants and then turned that carbon into those into that biomass and then into what we know as soil. And actually that process of photosynthesis is the very thing that cooled the planet or stabilized the climate and made it a livable planet for life as we know it to happen. And this happened over millions of years. But that's to say the system of photosynthesis and plants, trees, and soil being the great mechanism to cool the planet was revealed to me in that conversation. And seeing for the first time what I heard this guy say was, so you're telling me that the promises or the opportunity is that we can create a food system that makes food healthy, makes the ecosystem healthy, and we can feed people that food, and while doing it, they can feel a part of solving the greatest challenge that we feel most apathetic about simultaneously? <laughs> You're kidding me. That's an amazing opportunity. I was just like, that's crazy. That can't be true. That's, 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 uh, uh. so I, 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 I mean, literally in my heart, I, I had this experience, this like, you know, as they say, spiritual aha moment where I felt in my heart, this was true, real, and possible. And... And I could feel from the truth in my heart, I could feel the expansion and the, the cascade all the way out to that realization being felt and realized and understood by the collective understanding. And I just, and, and, I, and in my heart, I knew that I was tasked with, your job is to have this story, this new narrative, this new opportunity to emerge. And I came back to Los Angeles after that and I started sharing that with everyone I knew. And almost no one that I spoke to at this time, this six or seven years ago, had ever heard even the idea of carbon sequestration, the idea of storing excess carbon in the soil, the idea of using agriculture to be a, a system for reversing climate change. I think what you're saying is there's the same amount of carbon globally, 
But essentially, we just mined it out of the ground with fossil fuels, and we just redistributed or misdistributed that carbon into other places, into the atmosphere and into the ocean. Is that right? That's right. So what you're saying is, let's just put it back in the ground. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, using mother nature, using the beautiful wisdom of, or what we like to say, 500 million years of research and development, the best technology ever, and work within that technology and, yeah, cool the planet while we feed and nourish ourselves. Right. So to put it in back in the ground, you need to begin to institute regenerative farming practices. So what does that mean? What do you do? If you look at a tree, there's a tree right outside here, right? Where do you think the mass of that tree comes from? Well, it came from a seed. But 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 the, where did that mass come from? There's a mass of that. It grew from the roots. Yeah, most people would say it came from the soil. Like a tree extracts what it extracts from the soil, and it becomes a tree. But the, actually, the truth is, is all the carbon, which the mass of that tree is made from carbon, all that carbon came from thin air. Hmm. None of it came from the soil. Wow. Yeah. So most people, I didn't get that. No, you um, mean you got me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the carbon that makes up plants, trees, all comes from thin air. And we knew that. We, you know, Obviously, some people knew that. But what most people didn't know is, well, we know that photosynthesis takes place. It grabs carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and it gives us oxygen to breathe. That's a great thing. But what we didn't understand until relatively recently is that all the carbon that 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 plant or tree captures, it shares about 30 to 60% of that carbon as carbon sugars or carbohydrates. It sends it into the roots and feeds microorganisms. And those microorganisms eat that carbon sugar in exchange for minerals that they've pulled out of the soil and then they feed that plant or tree. And that's called the big exchange. And when that exchange takes place, that's what we like to say, voila, carbon moved. It went from the atmosphere into the soil and it's stored. And it can be stored there if we manage the soil properly for hundreds, even thousands of years. There's a really brilliant scene in the Kiss the Ground film that shows a NASA map of the the world and showing the carbon levels And basically, in the wintertime, in the northern hemisphere, when, you know, things start to die and and green starts to degrade, you you see these reds and purples because there's a lot more carbon going to the atmosphere. And then in springtime... And actually, it even gets worse in early, early spring when in America they're, they're tilling the soil and you see this just bl- plumes of the, the, the dark colors of excess carbon. And then in spring, all that plant life starts to emerge and all that carbon starts to come down. You see, wow, you see Mother Earth taking an inhale through that sequestration, and is that, that, that soil is then brought back down into the earth. But the problem is, because of our farming systems, we're releasing that carbon year after year, and more and more is being exposed, even though in the springtime it is coming back down. But in technical terms, once that carbon is stored in that soil, there's no, there's no, time, there's no time limit for you know, essentially that's now 
where it lives. And if it's in a system, uh, you know, one of the, the, the tenets of regenerative agriculture is moving to a more perennial-based agriculture where perennials are foods that grow on bushes, uh, vines, and trees so that you're not needing to till and expose and break open that soil again. Yeah. So how does that differ from this traditional farm that we have in our minds of this tilled soil and these perfect rows and um, that's kind of producing these kind of mass monocrops? Uh, yeah, the difference is we've tried to make agriculture a machine and agriculture is working with nature and nature is not a machine. But essentially we've said, okay, you have soil, this very complex system of exchanges and flows, and we've said, all right, no, we're not going to use that system. We're just going to put chemicals in the soil. We're going to plant one kind of crop, and we're going to do that year after year after year because it's the most efficient way to do it. Right. It works. It, it, you know, the Green Revolution, well misnamed, um, it worked. We, we produced tons of food, tons of cheap food. So there was an opportunity on one hand in that system. But the unintended consequences are the degradation of the ecosystem that our, all of our life relies on. So the, the question becomes, yes, we're feeding people today cheaply, but if the United Nations statistic is true that we have 60 crops left on planet Earth, on our agricultural soils, until there's no more topsoil to be able to produce food, clearly that cheap, efficient system is not a good system. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, I mean, essentially the question was how do they differ? One is you're oftentimes growing one or three crops on a plot of land, mostly corn and soy in this country, and you're just inputting synthetic fertilizer, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, NPK, and then as the soil gets less healthy, then you have more pest pressure uh, from pests that want to take out weak plants in the system, so then you need to use more herbicides, more pesticides, and the system just compresses and compresses. And the amount of chemicals over the last 30 years has just ramped up, ramped up, ramped up because they're no longer producing the results. So you basically have farmers in this feedback loop of they need more land, more chemicals, less profit, and on and on and on, and the ecosystem that they're responsible for just becomes more and more of a shadow or a shell of life. So you have this picture of traditional farming, which is uh, essentially monocrops, pesticide use, tilling, all of the elements that lead to soil degradation. And then on the other hand, you have this alternative, which is a more a biodynamic ecosystem 
Yeah, as you build your soil, it's not about how much water can fall. It's about how much water you can retain. On a traditional farm in America, it takes an average, uh, I think, a half hour to infiltrate a half of an inch into the soil, whereas on you know, some Alan Williams regenerative you know, ranch, he's able to infiltrate in four seconds. So for every 1% soil organic matter per acre, you can hold 20,000 more gallons of water on that acre of land. And that's because when the water falls in a, in a quote-unquote traditional farm, it doesn't permeate the ground or it, it essentially runs off. Yeah, it, it runs off into the rivers, lakes, and then lagoon creates, and then that's bringing our precious topsoil. It's also bringing the farming chemicals into another ecosystem that can't, you know, doesn't do well with those farming um, chemicals. So yeah, it's it's just a, a complete lose lose situation. And the other cool like fact and get people's head around who's you know who has a Brita filter. Many we've all had a Brita filter sometime in our life, and that's a carbon filter. When you have you know, high carbon content in your soil, even if there's chemicals that are, that, that becomes actually a filter so that water can actually filter through that soil and actually replenish our water aquifers. And actually we can replenish our groundwater when we have plots of land where we've managed and, and, and taken care of our soil. So the ecosystem services and benefits are just so great. It, even if it had nothing to do with climate change, you know, the, the ecosystem services of regenerative agriculture are such a win, including the economic enhancement for farmers. Right. I mean, it's like tripling yields in some cases. Yeah. Our, our dear friend and mentor and star of the film Kiss the Ground that's coming out in 219, uh, Gabe Brown, in his farming model, he's able to make 300 times more per acre than an average Amer American farmer because he's diversified his crops, so he's not just depending on corn and soy prices if the commodities goes up or a little down, he doesn't care because he's diversified his income, and so those commodities can go up or down, and he's got a resilient, diverse system that's going to be highly more profitable, not depending on, you know, the commodity yeah. prices. Yeah. And so what role do animals play in a regenerative system? Rudolf Steiner, who is the godfather of biodynamics and Waldorf education, and he was quite a philosopher and mystic, what he said basically in paraphrasing is a farm is not a farm without a cow because if we want a farm to act like nature and have the resiliency and the abundance of nature, it has to have animals in nature because nature has always had animals as part of that bigger web of life. And so if we want a farm that mimics the beauty and the brilliance of nature, we have to have uh, the ecosystem services of those animals. And the cow is, and it's, you know, cow, it could be other grass-eating animals. But basically, one of the big things that I didn't know is that the way that the great grasslands of this planet evolved, co-evolved with bovines and grass-eating animals. Right. So if you just kind of blocked off an acre of grassland and eliminated any 
animals from grazing on that and you just wanted to allow nature to, you know, the so-called nature to deal with it without animals, that system would slowly degrade over time and desertify. That actually there's, there's this mutual symbiotic relationship of grassland and grass-eating bovine animals. And they actually uh, depend on each other to survive. In some of the regenerative farms that I've gone to, what I've witnessed is let's say you have these orchards that are growing, you have full kind of ground cover, so essentially the, t- the soil is not tilled. And then you're creating this sort of like paddocks where, you know, cows can essentially graze. They're eating the grass. They're pooping. They're creating essentially natural compost. There's worms and other kinds of insects and bugs that like infiltrate the poop. I've even seen like rotating like little chicken coops and then let the chickens come out. They love to eat the worms and the bugs, but they peck up at the manure and essentially spread it. And then all of a sudden you have this incredibly rich soil from which trees and plants and can grow. Uh, and then essentially you're moving that paddock kind of to the next area. Is that a pretty that's fair a, yeah, understanding? That's an a, uh, absolutely great picture of uh, a regenerative system of using and, and working with the natural functions of animals in ecosystems and rotating them through the system in a way that they would naturally move through a system in nature and oftentimes being moved by predators. Um, right. And yeah. it, there's a really beautiful four-minute video called How Wolves Change Rivers. And essentially it shows the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone National Park and in six, seven years, there just becomes this, what they call a trophic cascade, where when one keystone species in the, in the system is behaving in its, in its rightful way, it kicks this kind of expeditious life-giving force all the way down through the system. And even though the wolves are killing some of the deer, but they actually start moving them, so they're actually mo- they're not just hanging out in one area and and decimating one right. one clover that they like so much. They're actually being moved around, and so they're a little bit of impact actually stimulates impact and creates growth, opposed to their overgrazing and impact creates desertification. So this shift to a new kind of farming cannot only have incredibly positive ramifications on the environment and and sequestering carbon, Uh, but it also can increase yield and be an economic boon for for farmers. So then if that's true, what is the challenge or how do we help to essentially create this transition from traditional farming to regenerative farming? I, I literally am having a new insight about this in this now moment, which <laughs> the the way that young millennials see business and business for good and B corporations and that whole thing, and that's what lights them up, and 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 business just for the bottom line and that decimate like that's no longer a thing that people want. If we can plant the right seed and visually communicate the opportunity with agriculture, 
we can create in the same way that young people are so drawn to entrepreneurship and business in for good, seeing this as even a more basic and more opportunity to serve the greater whole by being great stewards of our land, feeding communities, and also being the cavalry that saved the day and cooled the planet. And so I just saw that for the first time as far as just in the way that young people are seeing business and, and how fun it is to make it more dynamically, socially, and environmentally relevant, seeing agriculture in this new lens of there's this whole new sector of opportunity that is so, could, could be, can be so meaningful on so many levels and be an attractive way for millions of people to want to live their lives um, in service to feeding people and also cooling the planet, like I said. Yeah, I mean, you gave me an amazing statistic earlier that the average age of the American farmers is like in the mid-60s, right? Yep. So if you could harness what you said is sort of the entrepreneurial spirit of the next big generation, right? The millennial generation to see their impact generationally as tied to regenerative farming, which can lead to an incredible fruitful career that gives so much back to you, but that also can tackle the world's greatest problem. I mean, that's a pretty exciting proposition. And the exciting thing is it's not like going back to the Stone Ages. No, it's like seeing, you know, with drones, like your impact of you're working with an ecosystem and you're able to see that you're bringing death back to life. I don't know anything more fundamentally inspiring than being a human being that gets to work inside of an environment and you see your handprints actually creating more life, more fertility, more vitality, more biodiversity showing up. I mean, at the the, the deepest level of meaning and contribution and service and feeling good about yourself, there's something so intrinsically right about that that I feel is possible. And you know, call me a call me a lunatic, optimistic, but you know, I'm inspired. <laughs> you know, I just think like, yeah, this is this is the call. This is the call. So, let's say one is really passionate about creating impact in their environment, but they're not going to be a farmer. Yeah. Paul Hawken, who I know is a friend of yours, was on the show. He kind of has this thing of like, this is not something that's happening to us, you know? Yes. Like we are active participants or we can be active participants in this issue. So what's the best way to do that if you're not going to go out and start a farm? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a big yeah. it's it's big, but obviously to change and and make shifts in your life, I'd say you probably need a little bit more evidence and information to have the conviction to bring new practices and new a new pathway into your life. We have a, an amazing book that uh, Josh Decal wrote, inspired by our organization. And fifty percent of the profits go back to the organization, kiss the ground. But that book really gives us a, a deep, deep human, easy to understand uh, relationship to this topic and the opportunity of it. So getting more informed about the potential of regeneration, that's one thing. We are a propaganda, it sounds like a negative word, but we are a propaganda company for this idea of regeneration. You know, that that sustainability is a 
broken or not, it's just an, uh, it's not an inspiring call for the future. Do you want to just sustain your marriage or sustain your relationship with your kids? No, you want, you want to bring vitality, regeneration, uh, newness, aliveness. You want to continue to create it. What you can do, we have a, we have a speaker training course where we train people all over the world to be an advocate and a spokesperson for, uh, for this mission, but also for Kiss the Ground, and we give you all the beautiful assets so you can communicate a great presentation. So we do, it's a six-week course. If you're in LA, you can do it here, but you can do it online. And You're you know, creating so, cropagandists. Cropagandists, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, educate yourself. We're putting out a film uh, early 2019 called Kiss the Ground, which is, again, showing some of the best models and examples of regenerative agriculture. We're working on a, uh, a farmland or co-producing a um, online farmer training. Uh, right now in Los Angeles, there's multiple restaurants that are supporting our farmland program, which is essentially a restaurant has an item uh, that talks about the promise of regenerative agriculture, like at Cafe Gratitude or my sister's restaurant, Sage. And one of the ingredients in that dish comes from a regenerative system. And then $2 from every dish sold goes to a training fund to fund farmers in how to build their soil back. Mm, so it's a, it's a cool way that an individual can, because that, I mean, where we want to get to is that there's brands, companies, foods, restaurants that are saying we're sourcing, but again, we're at the tip of the spear and this is the very beginning. And why I'm madly optimistic and excited is because I got to see in the birth of Cafe Gratitude and we I remember serving cold brew coffee and no, that was not a word. And now I was on my way here and I see 7-Eleven cold brew coffee and I'm like, that's amazing. That's a win. I mean, <laughs> I had the same feeling similar with, you know, with Wanderlust, you know, 10 years ago, yeah. this idea of like the millennial yogi on a mountain doing warrior post didn't really exist. And then I see it like on the side of a bus for an advertisement for like a Kaiser Permanente. <laughs> Permanente. And I'm like, all right, well, We're in there. You know, we, we did something. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, God bless you for being on the tip of the spear and for all that you and your family has done to advance health and, you know, this mission of really trying to change the arc of history towards a, a better day. So thank you, Roland. Mm, it's my pleasure. It's really been a joy to spend the day afternoon with you and have lunch with you and uh, get passionate about this on this podcast with you. Thank you. That's our show for today. To learn more about regenerative farming practices, check out Kiss the Ground on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to the Commune podcast for new episodes every Tuesday. We'll explore the ideas, values, and practices that bring us together and help us live healthy and purpose-filled lives. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week. Yeah.